Welcome to KOAM Presents, a podcast produced by KOAM News Now and the four states' most watched news team. When storms hit and your power goes out, you can trust your Generac generator to supply you with the emergency power you need to keep you and your family safe during a disaster. Control your power. Control your life with a Generac standby generator. Sold, installed, and maintained by CDL Electric. Don't get stuck without power this storm season. Call CDL Electric today at 800-392-4942. Welcome back, guys. As you can tell, another setting and another guest, Mr. Dalquick, is yeah. here with us. Glad to be here, Lance. Looking forward to it. <laughs> so, obviously, you know, we had our first series with Doug. We had a couple filler episodes with Rye and Brooke. I'm not sure if you got a chance to listen I to did. those. Um, and now we're into our next main series, Behind the Desk. But you've been behind the desk for a little bit. Since 1980. 1980. At KOAM, yeah. So, I mean, so many stories. We're going to kind of go on this adventure, if you will, just sure. kind of covering different stories that you've been a part of, things that you've experienced around here, and just so much more. Before we get into that, obviously have to thank our sponsors, CDL Electric, um, for any of your home needs, you know, cdlelectric.com, check them out, and Grand Lake Casino at grandlakecasino.com. Go ahead and go on over and check their website out. But all that to say, how have you been? Doing very well, thanks. Um, big doings at the uh, Quick House. We're planning a birthday party this really? weekend for a one-year-old. <laughs> one-year-old uh, birthday. One-year-old. Yeah, first birthday. It's, our, it's always our, a big deal. Yeah, you're right. Maybe maybe the biggest. Yeah. I suppose, but this is our granddaughter, little Ella K. Rhodes. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, looking forward to that. But um, so today... All uh, lightheartedness aside, I guess we're covering kind of a heavier subject. Um, to take it back to the previous series, we had um, Doug and Jordan cover the Joplin tornado. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where we want to start today. Um, we want to break it down as one of the biggest events in this area, definitely. I mean, even nationwide in some regards. Um, obviously, if you know you don't feel super comfortable at any time, um, you know, you can always catch us in another episode, but um, to start even before the beginning, we had discussed kind of even prior to that, there was some importance to the day before. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned this was a big story on the tornado, and you look at the events of the day before, it puts it in some perspective, mm-hmm. I think. So the tornado was on May 22nd of 2011. It's a Sunday, it strikes late afternoon. Yeah. Rewind 24 hours, May 21st, Saturday, late afternoon. I had gotten word that there was a big downtown business fire in Pittsburgh, Kansas, and actually um, maybe multiple businesses on fire. Um, Normally, I'm off work on weekends, but I knew that I was probably the closest to the scene. I could see the smoke on the horizon. And so I called the newsroom. I said, I'm going to go down there and cover it. If you can get a live van and a photographer to me in time, mm-hmm. then I'm going to do a live report for our 6 o'clock news. Um, I get downtown. There's a big crowd gathered on Broadway, which is the main drag mm-hmm. through Pittsburgh. And there are two businesses burning in this historic district, big historic uh, buildings, two businesses that have been around for generations. It's a yeah. hardware store and a jewelry store. Truck gets there in time. I do a live report for the top of the six o'clock news. I do an update for the bottom of the six o'clock news. Um, photographer and I stick around and we 
taped some interviews with uh, firefighters and witnesses and business owners and go to the station and I put together um, a taped report for the 10 o'clock news. Yeah. And um, the reason I tell that story is because it gives some perspective to what was going to happen later that weekend. I went to bed that night, May 21st, Saturday, thinking this is probably the biggest story of the weekend. No one was hurt. Yeah. But two buildings gone, two businesses And historic buildings at that. Historic at that, right. And um, I'd kind of made a mental note of some of the follow-up stories that we would likely do in the coming week because – you know, there's the economic impact on the downtown mm-hmm. area. There's the emotional impact on a community losing two businesses, family-owned businesses that have been around for 60, 70, 80 years. And then there's also just the, the physical change to the downtown area, the big section of a city block that was going to have to be torn down because it was just charred ruins. And the fact that I thought that on Saturday uh, just shows – how little I know and maybe how little any of us know about what tomorrow will bring. Mm -hmm. Because as big as that story was on Saturday, and it seemed big at the time, what happened the next day was bigger by multiple of thousands. And that's not hyperbole. What happened on Sunday was bigger by a multiple of thousands. I'd believe that. I mean, it's not not to take away from those historic buildings, but it's really not comparable. And even to think about, like you said, your perspective, it's um, it's, it's kind of just puts this weird feeling to think how big that was. Yeah, I mean, the events of Saturday and really most events prior to that were completely eclipsed by what happened on the twenty second in most people's minds. Did that affect in you know going into that event and we'll kind of cover your day from there but how all the news because there's still obviously other things happening but that still just took center stage yes and um you know i qualify this a little bit because i tell young reporters and producers all the time that almost every day and certainly at least many times a week we cover a story that to someone is the biggest story we've ever told Mm -hmm. And you have to keep that in mind. And it might be just a a brief 30-second story about an accident or a crime or a fire. But to the person who is personally directly affected by that story, that is the biggest story we've ever told. Yeah. And the way we phrase that story and the compassion with which we tell that story is something that they're going to remember forever. But what happened in Joplin was big in this sense. It was certainly the number of lives lost, of course. the magnitude of the destruction and the way it transformed a community, not only so dramatically, but so suddenly, so Mm -hmm. suddenly. You know, um, people who lost people to COVID would point out that, well, the Joplin area alone lost more people to COVID than to the tornado, and that's true. But what made the tornado unique is this all happened in the space of 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Seems like a lifetime probably to some. Yeah. Um, but really just the blink mean, of an eye. Right. And, and in 20 minutes, um, 161 people would either die or suffer injuries that would ultimately lead mm-hmm. to their death. On Saturday, we lost two businesses. On Sunday, it was, I believe, just over 8,000 
buildings that were damaged or destroyed. Wow. 8,000. And, and um, not just businesses, hundreds of those, and not just mom-and-pop businesses. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking Walmart and Home Depot and a nine-story steel and concrete hospital and fire stations and schools and churches, but also thousands of homes, family homes, that were gone just like that. 20 minutes. And it's so insightful for me because, and I, I think I mentioned that with um, Doug and Jordan's, but I didn't grow up in this area. So I, I had seen it from afar. Right. I grew up in the Kansas City area. Obviously, I saw it on the news, but it hadn't impacted me necessarily, other than, you know, obviously my sympathies and things like right. that because I hadn't lived it. So I feel like every time that, you know, as hard as it can be is, you know, I hear these stories of people and things like that. It just mm-hmm. completely just warps my whole, you know, it's so, it almost makes me feel bad how I was feeling when I was younger. Cause you're like, you just don't understand the weight of the importance to this whole area. Um, but, but, you know, I understand that. Yeah. You shouldn't feel bad about that. I, I think people experience it differently. You know, we had all seen disasters. We'd all seen the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Mm -hmm. Um, We'd seen disasters that weren't natural, like 9-11. And we all felt some of the emotional weight of those sorts of things. But when it happens to your community and to your friends, um, then it's just different. And you you cannot cannot appreciate it. You cannot really explain it unless Mm -hmm. it happens to you. And then that morning when did it get real for you okay so now we're talking about the the, yeah on the 22nd sunday yeah Um, no that's fine that's fine so um um that morning actually uh we all knew to be on the lookout for severe weather doug Mm -hmm. and the weather team was very good about telling us well in advance that the 22nd had the potential for severe weather and not only the 22nd but also some days perhaps leading up to that and certainly some days following that. Mm -hmm. But the morning of the 22nd, um, people will remember that there was sunshine. And unless you were a trained meteorologist or paying close attention to Doug and the rest of the uh, weather team, you might have thought it was going to be a beautiful day. And like a lot of people, I was outside. I was doing yard work, as I tend to do on on weekends. Um, People were flooding into Joplin. Uh, May 22nd was the day of the high school graduation. Yeah, I remember hearing that. Um, That ceremony was not actually held at the high school. It was being held at Missouri Southern, but it was that afternoon. And, of course, on any um, Sunday, people from surrounding communities are pouring into Joplin because they're going to the restaurants and Mm -hmm. they're going shopping. It's kind of an economic center yeah of the community and i know doug uh, told i believe in his bot podcast that um even though like me he's generally supposed to be off on weekends he went in um early that afternoon i believe to keep an eye on the weather just because he knew there was the potential mm-hmm. for something awful to develop yeah and um people might not understand this but our our main station is not actually in a town at all um, it's not in Joplin. It's not in Pittsburgh. It's in Cherokee County. It's kind of, you know, in a rural area between yeah. the two. Um, I happen to live in Crawford County. And uh, there was a warning, a tornado warning for my county. Um, we took shelter. We have a storm shelter in our home. Some of our friends came over to take shelter with us, as they do sometimes. 
And um, after the tornado warning passed for Crawford County, they went home. My wife Kay and I, we continued to watch Doug on TV just to see what else was going to develop, if anything. And we were watching the TV when Doug was showing a camera shot from our our tower camera at 7th and Range Line in Joplin, at our office mm-hmm. in Joplin. It's looking, it's on the east side of Joplin, but it's looking to the west. And you could kind of see the skyline of, of Joplin and this kind of indistinct grayness, this gray mass. And then suddenly the camera momentarily goes to snow and then to black. And Doug continues talking. As, as you know, um, Doug is, stays very calm, or at least he's good at projecting calm yeah. in situations like that. Um, and I think he has said that maybe the pitch of his voice changed a bit at that moment. I'm not sure that it did. But my wife, Kay, and I uh, both were aware that this might be bad. I think Doug said something like, maybe there's been a power outage, long range line. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to going into the station again just in case they need some help, in case there's some widespread damage. Mm-hmm. And Kay, who is a nurse practitioner, said, let me know if there are any injuries um, because I might be going to work too. And um, so I drove out to the TV station. And when I got to the station, um, Doug was still on the air. He was giving a tornado warning for Joplin and surrounding area. And I go into the newsroom where um, we didn't have people. We didn't have many people. And I wish I could remember exactly who and how many were there. I think it was one, maybe two people. In the newsroom? In the newsroom. Oh. Um, at that at that time, yeah. Um, Sunday typically we don't have mm-hmm. a large staff. Not at that time we wouldn't. And um, the police scanners were going off in the newsroom, and we were trying to get some handles on what was damaged, where, how much. We don't report scanner traffic without confirmation. Yeah. Um, and also we weren't going to interrupt Doug's coverage. Um, and there's an imminent danger. That's obviously priority, but we knew that as soon as Doug's coverage of a warning passed, then I needed to go on and start telling whatever I could confirm about damage and response and whatever people needed to know. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to, we tried to get some calls out to our reporters, um, but cell phone lines weren't working. We didn't know it at the time, but cell phone towers had been taken down in Joplin. And simultaneously, everybody in Joplin was wanting to call out on cell phones. And everybody outside of Joplin was wanting to call in to find out what's going on. What happened. Right. So the system is overloaded with demand at a time when its capacity is most limited and it can't handle it. So nobody's getting through on cell phones. Some landlines were working, uh, at least outside of the tornado zone. And we were able to get some confirmation on some things. I was taking notes down to Doug saying, look, we have damage here and we have damage there. Um, And he would get some of that on air. We were trying to just collect um, this information and I was taking notes, uh, notepad, and and 
telling our crew, uh, if we can get hold of a reporter, great, a photographer, great. We learned that the path of the destruction had gone west to east through Joplin, um, roughly 20th Street to 26th Street, maybe mm -hmm. a bit south of that, wide, wide path of destruction. And we started thinking about where do our reporters live? And um, we were aware that, well, a lot of them live on an apartment building or a series of apartment buildings. And where's that? That's, that's 26th Street, isn't it? And um, we didn't know it at the time. But in our station, uh, 11 people lost their homes in that 20 minutes. And of those, eight of them worked in the newsroom. And... Um, of course, our first concern is, did they survive? Yeah, no kidding. Um, are they badly injured? Um, but we also knew that we had, we had no people to cover what may be the biggest story of our lives. Our producer, by the way, our 6 and 10 producer, his last day on the job had been that previous Friday. <laughs> this was Sunday. <laughs> um, and I thought, okay, we've got to get information out. We have to try to... Um, Project Calm. We yeah. I covered a lot of tornadoes prior to this, and um, we knew the one message that civil defense is going to want to get out is we don't want sightseers. That is, if you don't have business in the tornado zone, don't go to the tornado zone. I can imagine everyone right. just gets so. You know, well, yes, yeah, it's, it's, right. Well, it's for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, number one is you're going to put yourself possibly in danger. Mm -hmm. We we had learned that um, gas lines were broken. Oh, yeah. Um, and, of course, power lines were down. So fires were breaking out, mm -hmm. lots of them. Um, electricity was out for a big part of the community, so there were no traffic lights. And there's debris in the road. And I don't mean tree limbs. I mean there were houses. There were buildings in the road. And emergency workers had to get through. And sightseers were just going to create traffic jams. And so... Um, when I was able to go on air, we were stressing those points. And they say, we know you want to see what's going on in Joplin. And as soon as we get video, we're going to show you what's going on in Joplin. The best place to see this is right where you are. Stay with the TV. We're going to let you know what you need to know as soon as we know it. And um, at some point, um, eventually, we started getting some video in. The first bits of video um, didn't come from a news photographer. It was from a production photographer. Her name is uh, Crystal Albright. She would generally be shooting commercials, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but she had uh, a station camera and, uh, I believe, a station uh, vehicle. And she had the presence of mind to take that camera, just point it out the side window of her car, and just start driving through the tornado zone. Um, and I told Crystal, I said, uh, Crystal, you got to give me raw video. We're not going to have time to edit this. You're going to have to look through it to make sure that it's something we can broadcast. Yeah. We don't, didn't want to see anything that obviously is gruesome, mm -hmm. it's gory. Um, we have to People need to know what's out there, but we have to be gentle with it. Yeah, and be I mean, sensitive. That calm, that calmness that you talk about, right. almost like. And and she started getting some raw clips into um, a system where we could see it, and um, 
I told her, I said, I'm not going to have time to look at it first. Um, and I explained to our viewers, I said, we're going to watch this. We're going to watch it together. I'm going to be seeing this for the first time along with you. And they started playing the video. And I have an earpiece when I'm in the studio um, so that people in the control room can communicate with me. And I think Crystal maybe was in the control room so that she could relay some information. And she's trying to feed video in. So if I would ask a question, where is this? And she could tell me. Um, eventually, I just brought Crystal down on the set. I said, let's, let's just talk about this together. But that first glimpse of the video, um, I was just seeing raw. And some of the early video uh, was disturbing, but but not shocking. We could see some damage, um, but um, thought, okay, you see some debris, maybe some limbs down, but then we'd ask Crystal, where is this? And it would be maybe 10th Street, and Doug was in the studios, of course, still, and I'd say, so, but Doug, the, the path of destruction is going to be 20th, 26th. He said, yeah, this is 10 miles, or excuse me, 10 blocks, maybe from the tornado, and we realized that this was just debris that had been thrown this distance. Wow. And as the, the video moves closer and closer, you start seeing more and more destruction, um, some damage to some buildings, but not total destruction. Yeah. And I think one of the very first really shocking images, you know, heart-in-your-throat images for me, was when we saw Dylan's grocery store on 20th Street, or the remains of it. And this was a grocery store that um, was largely collapsed. And I remember thinking that late afternoon, Sunday, in Joplin, that store is going to have people in it. But the video didn't show people. It showed a parking lot full of cars, so it confirms that suspicion. And some of the cars are upside down, and some of them are twisted. And when he, we saw Dylan's on 20th Street, it gives some um, sense of grounding. We know where we are. Mm -hmm. So a lot, of, a lot of the destruction, you can't really get a sense, but we, we all know, okay, we know where this is. So the video continues, and I think it goes across some railroad tracks, and you think, well, I know what's coming up. There's going to be a series of commercial buildings and residential um, neighborhoods. And the video rolls across this railroad tracks, and you're looking out on the field, and those things are not there. Just nothing. I mean, just debris. Debris for, for um, all the way to the horizon. And, um, and I won't say nothing, there were trees, or what I would describe as kind of the skeletons of trees. There was um, trunks and maybe some large limbs, but no foliage, no small limbs. Um, a lot of the trees, the bark was gone. And, you know, later we would see some of the iconic images that the national media which show mm -hmm. people generally associate with the tornado, the images of the remains of the hospital and the remains of the high school and um, church steeples and so on. But for me, um, for a lot of people, the real horror early on was this the horror of those voids. It was the absence 
we knew was supposed to be there. Yeah. And people who weren't from this area, I don't think ever really fully understood what that felt like. I mean, that's definitely, like I said even earlier, it's just even hearing it just again and again, just like just blows my mind. I mean, um, with that, we're going to take a short little breather. Um, We'll be right back. And after that, we'll kind of talk about how that day progressed and some of the effects afterwards. Be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Grand Lake Casino. Enjoy the best gaming in the tri-state area. Visit GrandLakeCasino.com for current promotions and entertainment. Grand Lake Casino, where friends play. Highway 10 north of Grove, Oklahoma. Welcome back, guys. We're going to pick up kind of where we left off. Um, Obviously, somehow if you're joining us halfway through, we're with Dow kind of discussing the Joplin tornado, and we're now up to the point where, you know, the first footage is kind of coming in. Yeah, Yeah, that came in, I said, from Crystal Albright. Later that evening, we also got video from Aaron Thompson, who's a news photographer, and did the same thing with Aaron that I did with um, Crystal. Once we got video from him, I just brought him on the set. And because I needed someone to give me some sense of where are we and what are you seeing mm-hmm. and what did you experience and what was the sense of the people and all of that. And these were you know, eyewitnesses to the aftermath, at least. So that was something. Um, we had people in the control room, at least, or, and, and in the newsroom, who were was getting additional information um, I don't remember if we got hold of Keith Stammer with emergency preparedness that night. I think we might have and got him on the phone. Um, but we were getting reports, confirmed reports of fatalities. And um, first, um, it was multiple fatalities. We didn't know more than that. And how far in, I mean, at what I, point were we, you know? So much of that evening is a blur. It's just a blur, I yeah. don't remember. I don't remember the when. I don't remember precise numbers. I remember at some point it went to five, confirmed. I do remember um, not wanting to have to say the numbers as they were coming in. No one likes to get bad news. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember that the high watermark sort of for us for tornado fatalities, deaths, Came, had come previous to that in 2008, a tornado that went through Pitcher, Oklahoma, and that's south of Joplin, and claimed 23 lives. Um, one of them was an emergency worker who was trying to war- warn people on the road to get out of the way, and it was a complete family of four. This was in 2008. Mm-hmm. And, and I was aware that the number had been 23 previously, and I th- and in my mind, and I think in a lot of our minds, that's as bad as it can get. 23 people. And when we got word that night that the deaths had climbed into the dozens, confirmation that it was in the dozens, I didn't want to say it. Because dozens to me means at least 24. Mm-hmm. And that's the new high watermark. It gone past basically and, the worst. And we... And we knew that it wasn't going to end that night. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was difficult. Um, it, through that night, we were giving information as we were getting it on where emergency shelters were being established. Yeah. On um, the fact that the National Guard was being called in. Um, and that was already, that was on that evening. Yeah, that the evening. National Guard. Oh, yeah. Um, they were, they were activated by uh, then-Governor Jay Nixon mm-hmm. that evening. 
I don't remember exactly what time they arrived. But, and it wasn't just that. It was um, emergency vehicles. It was fire crews. It was um, ambulances from Springfield and Tulsa and Kansas City. I mean, there were dozens, probably hundreds of responders from outside of the area who were all converging on Joplin because I know it was in dire straits. They needed whatever yeah. help they could get. And what is the the balance, you know, I, you hear about, you know, obviously there's these first responders, and that's something I've heard from a lot of people is how quickly Joplin responded, like, if, yeah. you know, or even just the four states responded. Like, how do you flirt that line between, you know, getting information to the people and, you know, but, you know, letting the first responders and stuff, you know. Yeah, well, again, we were emphasizing that unless you had a mission, unless you had a purpose to be there, you shouldn't. Yeah. And that was part of our goal that night, uh, particularly um, to keep people informed to the point that they knew that the best, fastest information, the best scenes that are going to be if you just stay where you are, mm-hmm. stay where you are. Now, I told you that my wife, Kay, nurse practitioner, said, let me know if there are injuries. At some point early on in the evening, maybe as soon as I got to the station, I don't remember, I told her, yeah, there are injuries, and it might be bad. And um, she decided that she was going to go to Joplin. She went by her office first, grabbed medical supplies, mm-hmm. um, OBGYN office, so not necessarily all the supplies you would need for an emergency situation, but she grabbed what she could. And she and I have talked about this um, since. I don't remember how or when I got word to her or if she got the word someplace else um, where to go. But um, she knew that St. John's was gone, the hospital. She knew that Freeman on the south end of town was overflowing. People, patients were in the hallways and lining up outside the door. And she also knew that that was probably going to be inaccessible approaching from the north. Yeah. Um, and she also knew that Memorial Hall in Joplin was being established as a sort of overflow hospital, an emergency triage. Center. Yeah. So that's where she goes. She goes to Memorial Hall. And when she gets there, patients are flooding in, wounded. And you know, in addition to the deaths, there were hundreds and hundreds of injuries, and some of them severe, um, amputations, impalement injuries, yeah. um, um, brain injuries, internal injuries, lacerations. Um, and pretty soon, the lower floor of Memorial Hall fills up with people. And at some point, um, they say, we need an overflow for this overflow. So Kay and two other medical professionals, two men, we, we don't know their names. We don't remember their names. But they went to um, Macaulay High School, a Catholic school nearby, um, to help establish another overflow. And she said there was a sports team and a coach that had been at the school when the tornado hit. They had remained there. And they recruited them to help move tables, cafeteria tables, into um, like a multi-purpose room so they could create some sort of makeshift exam tables. The uh, gymnasium then was becoming a shelter for people who needed it. But in this makeshift hospital, um, she says she doesn't know where they came from, but sheets showed up to cover the tables. 
Now, Macaulay had electricity. A lot of the city didn't have electricity. Yeah. But they had no running water. Oh, no. And they had no medical supplies. She says the only supplies they had were the stethoscopes around their necks and prescription pads in their pockets. And um, some cases of bottled water show up. Now, she had earlier in the evening, and a lot of other medical professionals in the evening had been sending out texts to others in the field that they knew saying, we need people and we need supplies. Please send what you can. Yeah. And she would be working on a patient and they would be almost out of water and she'd turn around and, and maybe the pile of bottled water had grown. And at some point in the evening, um, sterile water shows up and then saline solution and bandages and sutures. And Fortunately, at some point, um, a group, maybe a van load, maybe more, of PSU nursing students and an instructor show up. And they've established these tables around the perimeter of this big room, but the nursing students, they take all these medical supplies and they put them in the center of the room. And they get them organizing, and, and they're helping them to get the supplies to the various uh, practitioners as they they need them and this is just in this overflow this is right this the is overflow the overflow of the overflow oh yeah maybe there were others i don't know at some point in the night case said and this was late in the night middle of the night she uh, stepped outside um i think she was trying to get a message on a phone and she needed to get reception she stepped outside and there were helicopters buzzing overhead. Mm -hmm. uh, I think at this point, National Guard vehicles were rolling through town. She could hear people crying. There are sirens all around, ambulances, fire trucks, police vehicles. And she said it, it felt like, it's, it felt surreal. It felt like she was dropped into some seen from an apocalyptic movie. Mm -hmm. And as she's out there, more vehicles are rolling in um, that don't, don't have windows that are crunched and battered, but somehow clanking along, and they're bringing more patients. Oh, my gosh. And, and she just turns around and goes back in. Um, and I don't know uh, when her night ended. I don't know when mine did. She and I had talked about this. We don't remember if we saw each other awake that night. That night, I don't know. At some point, at some point, um, the morning crew people are coming in, and I, I have to get back. I have to get home. I have to get some sleep. Because had I, you spoken to her up until? The, I mean, you I, said you kind of. I think I think we exchanged some texts, but again, we don't remember. It's just it, it, a it, isn't this strange. Well. But um, I um, I did know that our daughter. Um, who at that time was a med student at KU, um, had gotten word of what was going on in Joplin, and she got in a car, and um, she drove down from Kansas City mm -hmm. to Joplin. That night, I, I don't think I knew where she, she was. Um, subsequently learned that um, she went to Missouri Southern State University, which was setting up a command post for the National Guard, and I can tell you, and she worked there for the next, the next week. Um, um, she was helping as people were bringing in in subsequent days. Um, 
supplies, donations, trying yeah. and at a table trying to help organize. You know, this needs to go there and this needs to go someplace else. And people were were bringing in food and clothing, and um, families were bringing in toys. And she, has, she has very vivid memories of a farmer coming in and saying, "I have uh, this piece of farm equipment that I think is going to help to dig." And I, a person um, coming in. A child coming in with his family saying, I have the contents of my piggy bank. And one woman coming in with something under her coat um, says, well, I have something here that belongs to someone. And um, reached in and pulled out a bird. Uh, and and uh, Missouri Southern, among other things, has set up a um, place for, for pets. I mean, there were hundreds of stray animals roaming the streets. I can't imagine. I mean, yeah. and not just, you know, dogs and cats or exotic birds. Yeah. Um, but at any rate, at some point, um, I got to bed that night because I knew that I was going to have an early start the next morning. Mm -hmm. And the next morning, I um, decided to go to Missouri Southern uh, where they had one of a number of emergency shelters because I wanted to talk to some people who had survived the storm in the night. Um, I got there early. I called the TV station just like I had done the previous Saturday. I said, meet me there with a photographer. I'm going to do some stories. And um, we did what we call walk and talks. It's just basically one take reports where you just talk to the camera with a microphone. You walk through the area. You set the scene. You get some interviews. Yeah. I was careful not to show anybody on camera who didn't have hadn't given us prior permission yeah. didn't want to invade their privacy in what was now their temporary home and um, what I remember walking to this gymnasium that was full of cots and pallets um, some people sleeping others just huddled in these little family groups and um, it was it was odd because it was it was quiet. It was quieter than you would think. There wasn't wailing. There wasn't crying. It was just um, this sense that a lot of people were experiencing shock. And um, stories like this, you know, you can give stats, but those are just numbers. Mm -hmm. um, if people are going to connect with the story, they have to see faces. They have to see, you know, you can... You can hear that there are thousands of people who lost their homes last night, but it doesn't have the same impact as when you see a mother and a father and their child who have nothing but each other, and maybe the, the child's hugging a, a doll that she just received from a stranger. That makes an impact. Yeah. So that's the, I, I shot two or three of those, and, um, and I told the station, I said, I'm coming in. Um, as soon as I can get there, but there's one thing I have to do first. And what I had to do was I had to drive through the tornado route. I felt like if I'm going to be reporting on this today and tomorrow and the next weeks and months, I had to have a first-hand account. I couldn't just have the second-hand accounts and video. I had to see it. Were the roads, like, cleared at that point? Um, not all of them, but enough of them. Yeah. There was a, a regular flow of traffic. Yeah, I, did, I wasn't going to get in the way. Um, but what I did is I, from Missouri Southern, I drove south to Duquesne, and I essentially drove the tornado path in reverse from, from where it ended to where it yeah. started. 
and because I wanted to just see. And I remember along that drive um, into the station, I saw a school bus um, that was sheared off at the windows. It was at the bottom half of a school bus. I knew nobody would have been in it. But I think what could have done that? Um, there was um, a slab of concrete with a concrete bank vault in the middle of it. But the bank that had surrounded it the day before was gone. And you would see structures that some of them, it was, they were indistinguishable. It's just, you know, piles of brick or cinder yeah. block or wood. But in some cases, you would see a church steeple or something that would give you a clue of what used to be there. Give this, you your bearings and stuff. Right. Yeah. And you think, oh, this used to be a firehouse. Um, Joplin High School. Um, at that point, um, you know, it was, it was destroyed. Part of its sign was still intact. And um, the words Joplin, the, the letters, it was just said OP High School. Famously, somebody uh, later would take some duct tape and in front of the O, they would make a letter H. And after the P, it's a letter E. Um, but I, I drove through that and then into the station, and it gave me a personal perspective. Yeah, and it kind of goes back with what you talk about with the statistics. I mean, and that's something, you know, you break down this, oh, this is how actually powerful the storm was, but you really don't get the weight of it until you see, you know, like you said, something like a school bus. I mean, right. it's so heavy, and I mean, all this building material that is just... I, re I remember Lance being at um, a range line road, east end of town and looking across to the west and I could see St. John's Hospital this is from some miles away and this is a view that prior to that you couldn't see completely blocked yeah. right because there were buildings there had been trees you couldn't see the hospital from range line until then and from a distance by the way the hospital um, you would have thought um, it looks okay. And it's not until you get closer that you see, no, it's in ruins. Um, and it would never be used again. Yeah. And so you've gone this path, and then, I mean, where do you go from there? I mean, the, this event has happened. It, you, you know, National Guard, you know, we're calling, you know, pulling out all the stops, get right. all the forces to respond. Right. Um, the, the National Guard, the governor... Um, was in town, um, came into town and stayed there um, for some weeks. Uh, Cunningham Park, which is just uh, north of Old St. John's Hospital, mm -hmm. it became kind of um, media central. It was set up so that um, live trucks and the, the national media with all their satellite trucks and the national media was descending in groves. Um, it set up there and that was going to be an area where media briefings were going to be given on a regular basis. So we had our live truck there. Um, and, you know, it had a view behind it where you could see some destruction. You could see the hospital. Um, the governor was giving uh, daily media briefings. The guard was. Uh, we were covering a lot of them live. You know, we would just be interrupting programming to give, mm -hmm. to give this. Uh, we decided early on that our newscasts uh, couldn't be conventional 
30-minute newscast. It were going to be two-hour newscasts. We didn't have people, but we thought, we've got to do this. Yeah, you have a choice. Uh, right. Um, and in addition to that, we were doing um, periodic updates, maybe maybe on the hour, um, uh, a few minute updates. Mm-hmm. Some of them were taped reports from the field. Um, we recruited anybody we could from the station to help us. I remember our general manager, uh, Danny Thomas, doing some uh, reports out in the field, just interviewing people. Yeah. Others did from, from our sales staff. And Lance, there were people um, to their credit, who had lost their homes and showed up at work. Some of them, um, it wasn't it wasn't just homes. People lost their businesses. Yeah. Um, our weekend anchor, Lisa Oligas, her husband had a furniture store on South Main Street um, that was hit. She came into work. Wow. Um, and everybody knew they had their their personal issues that they had to deal with, but they thought that they have this professional obligation that yay mm-hmm. um, to the community um, and, and um, there was a lot of information we had to get out I remember having the conversation with my daughter about she had some frustration she thought some of the national coverage was maybe a bit sensational yeah um, I, I I didn't really have a judgment on that I didn't I thought probably maybe her perception was a little bit skewed I, and I explained to her I said look they have a job and it's different from ours yeah the, the national media um, is pr- conveying information about the magnitude of this and the, the emotion of it. We were too, but it, but they're not. They can't get into the nitty gritty of it uh, because um, part of our job was t- to just give the nuts and bolts information people needed to know. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like. Um, Okay, a chainsaw crew is being organized tomorrow morning at this location. If you have a chainsaw, you need to be here. You have a pickup truck, be there. Um, emergency shelter is moving from here to there, and this is where food is being distributed. And um, there was the sense of urgency that you needed to try to be the glue to help hold this community together. Yeah, um, very informational. I mean, inf- Informational, um, not just that. I mean, you, you also want to... Um, capture the gravity of the moment, yeah. the, the emotion of it. But um, you also wanted to kind of fulfill the um, the ambition of that makeshift sign at Joplin High School. You wanted, you knew it had to start with hope. Um, it was gonna require a lot more than that. People were gonna have to put in some elbow grease and roll up their sleeves, but yeah. it had to start with hope. And um, so, you know, you're looking to the future. Um, th- thousands of people had left the community, by the way. They, by, Makes sense. They had I mean, no choice. Yeah. They had to find homes. And so we um, it, it almost immediately started presenting our newscast, not just over the air, but online, on our website. Um, because we knew a lot of people who wanted to know what was going on in Joplin were not going to be within the radius of our broadcast. Yeah. And a lot of people who had never lived in Joplin, but knew people who had wanted to know what was going on i mean that impact is far-reaching and i mean like you said too it's not only information and it's it's you know connecting people when do you feel like from your perspective it went from you know this is the nitty-gritty this is what you need to know to more of okay you know we are healing you know 
we can kind there, of there was there was a mix of both from the beginning okay. from the beginning and i suppose that formula came kind of shifted maybe over um the weeks and months and um th there was just so many things going on at once the the um um school district was in a race to open in time and i know we're getting signals do we need to take a break <laughs> uh i think we'll take a quick break i'm i'm sorry i'm no. a little long-winded aren't i no you're fine uh, this okay. is a great way to start we're going to take another little break and we'll be right back right after this this podcast is brought to you by grand lake casino enjoy the best gaming in the tri-state area visit grandlakecasino.com for current promotions and entertainment grand lake casino where friends play highway 10 north of grove oklahoma welcome back guys Took a quick little break. We were going to have a longer episode. We talked about it before, and I told him it's perfectly fine. Because you, you give a microphone to a broadcaster, and you don't give him a time limit, this is what you get. It's a dangerous game, but it's a story that, you know, one, we, we wanted to tell, and two, it's always good to have these kind of reminders. You know, it's, I, in my opinion, it's very grounding. Um, so as we were talking, you know, we are past, you know, we are continuing coverage. Um, and then the next big thing are the schools, you know, yeah. the kids and getting them back in. It. The superintendent of school, C.J. Huff, he announced not long after the tornado, maybe within a day or two, uh, that he and the school district had decided that the school would open, the school district would open on time in the fall. Uh, so, again, the tornado hits on May 22nd. Schools were to open in mid-August. That was mm -hmm. 87 days. The Joplin School District lost 10 buildings. Wow. Um, there are, um, I don't know, six or 7,000 um, students of, the, of those. Um, I think it was 3,200 had been going to school. 4,200 had gone to school in those buildings. Um, 3,000 or so lived in the tornado zone. So... They have this mission. They've got to build or rebuild or come up with some sort of schools mm -hmm. in less than three months. Um, these students, um, many of them had lost their homes. Some classmates had died. Their parents were unemployed because their businesses had been destroyed. Um, they were Some of them were going to be living in FEMA shelters a female community was established south of the hospital bus bus routes were going to have to be changed the community was going to have to somehow come up with school supplies uh, laptops um, engineers got to work um, and some old schools or at least one was reopened or made into a school again some spaces that hadn't previously been schools became schools most famously um, North Park Mall High School it was a um, former department store yeah. that um, they, they brought in and did an amazing job. I was fortunate to get a tour of this before it opened where um, they had movable walls and smart walls, and they were sensitive to the fact that they needed to have dedicated counseling areas mm -hmm. and places to charge and, that, and a cafeteria, and there was uh, one that was run by the students. It was a remarkable high school for the 11th and 12th graders. Yeah. And um, that summer, at some point, um, the entertainers of Branson, Missouri, decided they wanted to contribute what they could, what they could do, and they decided, along with our station, that we were going to have a telethon. Um, and it was basically to provide musical supplies. 
Um, and as part of this, and, and this was shown on um, a number of, of cable networks. Um, and as part of that, um, Dr. C.J. Huff and I, we went to the ruins of the high school. We shot this, this video. Um, Theron Dishman shot this video and did an excellent job where we um, climb over kind of the ruined downed walls of the music department and we go in there and, and there's this waterlogged piano sitting out and we dig through the rubble and you see bits of instruments and there's uh, sheet music blowing in the wind and, and we dig a little deeper and we pull out some trophies uh, that the music students had earned over the years. And we see the ruins of what had been the auditorium, the stage now open to the sky. And um, they, they played that and um, they raised, I don't know how much money, but quite a bit of money. They, their, their, their idea was when these students come back to school, there should be music again. It's one of those things that it seems, you know, I mean, somebody might argue like, oh, you think, oh, they maybe don't need instruments or whatever. But, the, you know, so many people, other people see it as it's getting that normalcy back. I mean, right. even something we've seen over the last a, few a, years. A sense of normalcy. Yeah. Um, a sense of routine. It wasn't just important for the school, by the way. It was important, important for everybody. I mean, things weren't going to be fully normal, obviously, for a long, long time. But you needed to establish some sort of routine to help these kids emotionally. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, the mission wasn't just to do the bare minimum to, to open a school. It was no, um, we want to provide a quality education. Yeah. And that includes things like the music, yes. Um, it's going to be um, top-notch education. We need these, these young people. We need them to be well-educated, and we need them... We need these communities to stay in Joplin and value Joplin. And, and that, was, that was the mission of the school district and the community. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like, you know, obviously some people had no choice but to leave. But, I mean, I know of other stories of people who were just like, this is, it, we're not going it, anywhere. So many, so many places said, we're going we're gonna to make it possible for you to stay, and we're going to make it desirable for you to stay. Yeah. And... Um, the school district, for example, uh, said no employee of this school district is going to lose a paycheck. And somebody had gone through into the administrator's office. They tried to get up the record and said, I mean, we're not, I'm talking about like, like day one. We're going to get those checks out on time. And the, the hospital, St. John's Hospital, and it's hundreds of employees, no longer has a hospital. Say no one's going to be laid off. No one. They built an emergency hospital, makeshift hospital, just um, east of where the, the hospital had stood, um, kind of a modular thing. That, yeah. That's property that late, later would be donated to what would become uh, Joplin Medical School. Uh, some of the employees were transferred to, to Carthage or to other facilities, but they say, we're going to keep the paychecks going. And, and people wanted to work, you know, and there was work to be done. Oh, plenty of work. Um, um, Home Depot, they... You need building supplies. Home Depot is destroyed. But Home Depot creates um, kind of a emergency, temporary version of itself. Yeah. And a lot of places were doing that. Businesses started working with their competitors, say, look, I'll share my kitchen um, for your restaurant. Churches, there were 20-some churches that were gone. Churches said, well, you know what? Um, of course, a church is more than a building. 
but we say your congregation can use our building. We, we're using it twice or three times on Sunday. Well, what, who's to say we can't have 10 services on here on Sunday? We'll just rotate. People were, they were having services in the parking lots. Um, and with so many stories, I mean, where do you even, you know, how do you encompass such a big event? You know, you just piece by piece. I mean, how do you even go yeah, about? That's it. It's piece by piece. You know, you, you, you don't th think about moving on. You just think about moving forward. So it's just you take a little step, and then tomorrow you're going to take another one. You do have your, your eyes on the horizon. You know what the goal is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can't get there unless you go through this. And um, you just try to inspire people. You tell lots of inspiring stories. Yeah. You tell stories of victory. You never keep, you never lose sight of, of the sacrifices, the people we've lost. Um, but you just keep an eye on where you want to be. And do you, I, this is something I think I uh, talked with Doug about, and I was curious kind of on your take is, um, have you seen footage? Like, have you gone back and looked at footage um, from, from that or, you know? For a long time, I couldn't. I, I couldn't um, for years. If the Weather Channel would show a documentary on the Joplin tornado, I had to turn it off. Mm -hmm. It just hurt too much. Um, that's become easier with yeah. time, but um, no. And I understand why people couldn't maybe watch newscasts at that time. No doubt. Um, or, or couldn't often, and because I felt that way sometimes. All of us did. Yeah. You know, because um, it was relentless. You you were immersed in it and submerged in it, and sometimes you felt like you were drowning under it, and you couldn't come up for air. Mm -hmm. um, but you couldn't escape from it. You know, so it, some people have the option they can just not watch the news. If you're in the yeah. news business, you don't have that option. And um, does it feel like an uh, obligation? Like, I mean, at that because if you're drowning, well, it, well, yes. I mean, look. I mean, um, what we do isn't as heroic as what emergency workers do, firefighters and and doctors and and police officers. But it's the same sort of thing. You know, you you the job is, is hard, but sometimes when it's hardest, that's when it's most important. Mm -hmm. And so we had to keep going. There were, there were times where it was difficult for me on air to not um, let my voice crack. You know, Jordan Abbey, I know he told his story. Yes. He, he was injured. Um, and we, we learned that early on. Somehow he was, as many people in our station lost their homes, he was the only one with serious injuries. Um, but his, he, he had multiple injuries. And... Um, our sports director at that time, Steve Slifka, who had stayed with Jordan in the aftermath and got him to a hospital, um, later did a story where he goes into the hospital room and just sits by the bedside and chats with Jordan. And I had watched the story before it went on air, but when it was going on air, I told the people in the studio, I said, I'm going to take out my earpiece 
and I want the audio turned off in the studio because I don't want to hear it because I wasn't sure that I would be able to hear this story and then go on and keep the composure that was necessary for me to tell the next story. Yeah. Um, I remember, this is going back, um, a week after the tornado, President Obama was in town. Um, I had gone to that event to, to cover that event. Um, then went out to the TV station to put together a report on it. We had covered it live, and then I was also doing a taped report that, for that evening, that Sunday night. Um, and we were coming up on exactly one week since the tornado, 5.41 p.m. Sunday. And there was going to be a moment of silence observed at Cunningham Park. And I, I got on the intercom at work. I said, you know, this is coming up. I think we all need to observe this moment of silence. And I was in the control room. We were showing this event live. And there were several of us standing around. And there was silence at the park. And there was silence in the control room. And we just stood there and waited. That ended. We all went back to our work jobs wow yeah but you know you you want to help the community heal but you know you also have to heal yourself yeah and there were there were weeks and months where um i remember doug and i had conversations says how long will it be before um the a block of the news has something other than tornado coverage i don't know and then eventually it happened maybe there was another event that also made it into the first block of the mm -hmm. news. And then he said, well, how long will it be before you think there is not a tornado story in a newscast? And I said, I don't know. Um, it was, I know that it wasn't the first year. Yeah. It was that long. But, but the stories, they weren't, they weren't depressing. They were uplifting for the most part. We were yeah. steering toward um, you know, this rebuilding. This business is reopening. This family is moving back. Um, he said, "Hope, hope." Um, um, the Ty Pennington Home Improvement Show, whatever that was. Yeah. They shot their last, their very last episode of their very last season in Joplin, building seven homes in seven days. The uh, extreme home makeover. Extreme home makeover. Yeah. yeah. Um, they sent these seven families um, to Disney World uh, for a week, and they were stories. Each of these families had touching stories. I think one was a firefighter. One was a family who had lost a child. And seven homes in seven days. Just seven homes when there are thousands of them destroyed seems like a little drop in the bucket. But just seeing that, and it is, but seeing that is one more uplifting moment. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we always need uplifting moments and really anything that we're going through. Especially, like I said, last few years, I mean, it, we something that is bad as this event was we're still talking about it today because of the uplifting stories yeah um, and i just think that's great i think we'll kind of wrap it up there um sorry i talked for so long <laughs> no, i am sorry i don't think I the listeners so are gonna have any issues with it and we're we're not even done this is just episode one we're yeah. gonna Keep going. Um, next one, a little teaser. We're going to be talking about some adventures that you've had over the years um, and 
all of the camaraderie that goes with it. So thank you guys so much for listening um, or watching. If you're watching on the KOAM Plus app or streaming on Apple or Spotify, wherever it is, make sure to share with your friends um, or leave a comment on Facebook and tell us what you think. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors, CDL Electric and Grand Lake Casino. And a little teaser, we're going to be in a different setting next time. More information to come. Make sure to check that out on our Facebook, and we'll see you next time. When storms hit and your power goes out, you can trust your Generac generator to supply you with the emergency power you need to keep you and your family safe during a disaster. Control your power. Control your life with a Generac standby generator. Sold, installed, and maintained by CDL Electric. Don't get stuck without power this storm season. Call CDL Electric today at 800-392-4942. Thank you for listening to KOAM Presents. For the latest content in local news, weather, and sports, please go to koamnewsnow.com.